Welcome everybody to During Business Hours. My name's Chris. I'm gathered today by Ron Jesse Whitby, a studio engineer, sound designer, sound enthusiast, uh, historian with sound. How you doing today, Jesse? Just fine. Yeah, getting ready. All right. And you don't do any social media or anything like that, do you? No. No? What? I never touch a computer. Never touch the internet? Never. There's so much on the internet. Oh, I know. I have... A cousin that, that gets stuff off the internet for me whenever I want. But I've never had a computer or a cell phone or a smartphone or any of that. Really? Never. Just a house phone? Just a uh, landline. Not even a uh, recorder. There we are, JBL. I'm a diehard JBL fan, even though they have screwed up lately. It's it's only you know their speakers are still good. No, uh, I could I okay. could disagree with that. Unfortunately, the, the quality of what they put out versus what Harman Kardon, yeah, LG, some of the other big makers, Pioneer have yeah. made, they're on par. But yeah. then you get some of the problems like their electronics are from Taiwan now instead of made by them and sourced by them. You know, you can say all that and it's all true. Mm -hmm. However, when you get down to it, when you look, when you got the experience like I've had, what happened was uh, when you take it back a number of years and, uh, you know, I told you I have a big long playlist that goes way back and I go after the, um, not the, tabulated computer specifications, but rather that old feeling that I yeah. always got with JBL that I never got with anything else. Okay. I can rattle off a few part numbers that were always the greatest. Man, I mean, I fell in love with JBL way back in 68. I spent $5,800 in 68 on my first JBL system. Now. That's the one you were telling me about, right? Yeah, the Paragon. Paragon. That is a... For People who don't know, that is the biggest entertainment center for a single set of speakers I've ever seen. Yeah. It is the size of a car. Yeah. It is huge. And now they're going for forty, forty-five thousand dollars. You gotta ask yourself a question. Why? Is it the quality or is it the what is it? The people like the history and they're like, well, this is part of history, so I put a value on it. So is it that it's still of that quality that's no longer made and that's why they think it's worth $45,000? That's just a part of it. The other part is the way it makes you feel when you turn that sucker on. And the first time I turned mine on, I just about fell over. I mean, it was absolutely thrilling. I remember the first concert I went to. I went to Papa Roach at Sleep Train Theater. And this was 2003, it's 13. Boy, it's uh, the speakers that they had at the time were almost in a V shape to mm. reach the entire audience. Oh, yeah. The curves. And I really, for some reason, I remember thinking, if one wire breaks, all these are going to come crashing down. You yeah. Know? You see, okay. And, Let me get back to my reasoning. When you look at what they had back in those days, uh, and there's a book, the JBL book, oddly enough. Go to Barnes and Noble, they got it. You can buy it, about 35 bucks. Okay, it gives you the history of JBL and all the developments, their research and development. Mm -hmm. And um, 
all the uh, great stuff, the Paragon's in there, all the speakers that were originally in the Paragon, the drivers, they call them, you know, the mid-range, tweeter, woofer, and all that. And um, then we go down the road a ways, and the engineers and the computers take over, and you can read the history. Oh, we used to take forever to develop things the old-fashioned way, you know. Uh, they would try out ideas and uh, do a little something and try it and a little something else and try it. And it took forever. Oh, but then we got this computer program. Oh, man, now we can do it in no time at all. And the thing was, what was the goal of the computer program with the goal? The goal was to make a, a speaker do a certain thing. What was a thing they wanted to do with a computer compared to what they used to do with their senses. See, with the senses, they built speakers that made JBL famous. And what made JBL famous was the way the speakers made the listener feel. Just like me when I got my my Paragon, you know. I mean, that thing just, I just, it just knocked me over, sent chills through me, tears run down my cheeks, goosebumps on my arms. I mean, it's just thrilling. Okay, now, so what did the computer do? I don't know. Left me flat. I actually went out and bought some of the computer-developed replacement speakers. I'm talking about what they call drivers, mid-range driver, compression drivers, the thing they put on the back of a horn. Yeah. If, I don't know how many people realize what that is nowadays. But uh, nowadays, JBL makes replacements for all the great ones they used to have. And they're all computer developed and they're the flat responding and they wouldn't make a tear come to your eyes. They wouldn't put a single goosebump on you and they don't come anywhere near thrilling you. You play the same great old music as we had back then and everybody just goes, you know, sit around staring at their fall smartphones asleep. or fall asleep like you just said. They ain't got it no more. No. I went out. When I first heard about it, the new development from JBL on reputation alone, I spent 4,000 bucks, bought four of the drivers, the mid-range drivers. These were the ones, you know, that really, Supposed really did the job take, on the, yeah. the vocals and all the great, you know, uh, stuff from in the past, all the great vocals, all my favorite people that I loved, entertainers and all that. Yeah. I bought four of them and I set them up side by side with the old drivers on the same horns, the same. same playlist. And me and my partner listened for a couple of hours. So I, you know, did an A, B comparison, direct everything to like. And we looked at each other and went, oh my God, what have they done? But what did we do? We took those brand new, you know, they smelled like the new car smell. Mm -hmm. Well, these still smell like the factory at JBL. And the brand new boxes, we put them back in the brand new box, we took them to a used professional sound equipment dealer. There is, such, there is a, such a place. Oh yeah, all, I'm familiar. Took all four of them to a used professional sound equipment dealer. And he couldn't believe what we said. We said, we want to trade these brand new drivers in on the old stuff like we've had all the time. Get some credit. Because I bet the old stuff was more expensive than those new ones. Yeah. Well, the guy couldn't believe, but he was so, he was thrilled to get these brand new, he said, man, I could sell these in a heartbeat. 
to people who don't know. Yeah. Say people who don't take the trouble to audition. I think it's got to be something to do with back in the day, there was a value in the real quality of things. I've talked about it on the podcast before where it's not made the same because it's not made for profit back then. It was made for passion. Passion. Now it's made you got for it. profit. You got it. Yeah, they had they, they sat around for eight hours a day saying, how can we make this better? Now it's how can we make it faster, cheaper, more affordable? Yeah. In a quicker manner with less product specifications or restrictions mm-hmm. to get as many a year out as we need to fill our quotas. And hit that computerized spec specification. On the nose. On the nose. And what that is, flat response, mm-hmm. which has music. Uh, no regard for music. Just simply make that flat line. And it's just like when you're dead in the hospital, you know, the flat line. Exactly. Well, they kill the music. And that's exactly what they did. What was the song? The Day the Music Died, American Pie? Yeah. Yeah. And here is the company, JBL, James B. Lansing Sound, the company I had fallen in love with for you so many years. How many people don't know that name? That couldn't, you couldn't pay. 30-year-old man now to know that it's the J.B. Lansing mm-hmm. at all. Yeah. The only reason I knew it was I had done a repair on a, a boombox a couple of years ago. I had to order a specific part from JBL. Mm-hmm. And then back then on their site, they were like, hey, guess what our name is? Here it is. Here's our history. But for those of you who don't know, your name is Jesse Whitby. Mm-hmm. You're a, would you call yourself a sound engineer? I wouldn't call myself an engineer at all. I'm a, a self-taught mm-hmm. enthusiast, hobbyist. Uh, I've never touched a computer in my life. I've built what I've built strictly on audition and what I get from my audiences when I go out and do sound reinforcement. Now I can tell you stories from now to this time tomorrow about real life experiences I'm sure. where real people Total strangers have come up to me and given me my direction to go in just by telling me certain things that they like or don't like. This has been my direction to follow. Well, your reputation, you know, in this town is pretty big. I've asked about you to a couple of people, including Skips and so on. Yeah. And man, they know your history. So... That's why I asked you to come on because you have such knowledge about these speakers and sound and wavelengths that are a lot of people just don't give two shits about for no reason. Well, the trouble is I I don't do it uh, the conventional way. I've gone to uh, colleges down Davis here in Sacramento and talked to professors and uh, I don't speak their language and they don't speak mine. For passion or for profit. Yeah. I, I see you as a person that can't really art. It's, it's not as the education would lay out the text, but you definitely have a way of getting to the same answer yeah. in a quicker way because you've been through it. So you get a lot of those laborers that do something similar with wiring or construction. Oh, I can tell you stories yeah. about wire. Yeah, they know exactly how to get it done in a very fast and efficient manner safely. But then when you go and read it from the how-to book, it's like A, mm. B, C, D, 30 different steps that they just skipped through, cut the bullshit, and did it. Uh, can we talk about wire for a minute? Yeah. Back in the day, um, 
when uh, we were hearing about fiber optic cabling. Mm -hmm. Okay, I was doing, one of the people I was doing regular concerts for had a, a big concert uh, venue just outside of Sacramento, okay. And we were always uh, trying to figure out ways to promote concerts. Yeah. And he had outdoor and an indoor venue, huge place, okay. And um, I said, uh, his name was Al. And I said, Al, what about if we, we did something like uh, uh, concerts on light? How about fiber optic concerts? And man, he lit up like a Christmas tree. He said, man, that would make great advertising. And uh, I said, well, I'll, I'll look into it. Because having no computer, I got on my landline telephone, started calling all over the country, and I found a guy in New York City. And he made these components that went in between analog components and fiber optic cabling to hook up fiber optic cabling to analog components. Believe it or not, I found a guy that had those. And he got fired up about it too. And he says, you know what I'm gonna do? He says, I'm gonna send you these things for nothing. All I wanna know is how it turns out for you guys. Well, okay, great. Cold phone call. Then know me from Adam, okay? Used to work, yeah. And there was a place out in Rancho Cordova called Precision Interlink that happened to do fiber optic interlinks on computers. Got a hold of him, told him what I'd done. And he got all fired up about it. And I said, no, oh, you thought I would, you, you thought I was an advertising man, but I wasn't. And he said, you get those components together and we'll be there. And I said, okay. So then I got on the phone to build and wire and cable. And they got all fired up about it. And they tell Tell us when. So I got back to Al, the owner of the establishment, and he said, man, I'm going to get on the phone, call everybody I know, concert promoters. And we got it together on a date. So I took out the typical stuff, you know, control board, speakers, amplifiers. Here comes this great big AT&T, no less, truck. Mm -hmm with a great big roll of fiber optic cable and these technicians all dressed in lab coats with their tables and their microscopes. This is from Precision Interlink Company. Mm -hmm. They set up everything, looked like a, a, a lab right there in the um, building, a great big indoor building where they have indoor concerts. I set up a typical sound system, you know, just a mini part of it with a control board and a whole bunch of my playlist music and here's a uh, building wiring cable. Here's, I got my components from the guy who shipped in. And all these concert promoter people showed up and I said, okay, we'll do a baseline comparison with, with a typical uh, stage snake, you know, like you have on a, on a, on a typical uh, band and microphones. And uh, I had a turntable there and we'll just run a little sound through and get a baseline comparison with microphone cable. Okay, so everybody goes, well, okay, you know, that's typical. And they were just about to jump out of their pants and were so nervous to see them. Them guys were working on the fiber optic cable. They had to cut it and they had to run it under the microscopes and they had this precision equipment to polish 
to microscopic fiber optic. Yeah. Tiny, tiny, tiny. And they did that. And the boss had to look at it on the scope and make sure it was right. Okay. Plugged it into those connections. Plugged it into my equipment output, input to the power amp, and then off of the, into the power amplifier, into the speaker. And I picked up the volume on the control board and sure enough, worked first time right through the fiber optic cable. Played the same music, same volume level as the uh, conventional microphone cable hookup. And why they don't offer fiber optic now then. Okay. So what happens? Everybody's like, like a bunch of hound dogs panting with their tongues hanging out. And they all went, oh. It sounded flat as a bottom of a pancake. The music was all there, but just flat. Just flat? Just flat. No, you know, transient. No kick to it. No life to it. Fiber optics carries everything, all the details, but no life. And everybody just was so disappointed. It was amazing. Everybody standing around, looking at their shoes, you know, wondering, well, now what? So I told them, I said, I had experimented with all kinds of wire, doing all kinds of, you know, off the wall things. Oh yeah, because so it's saying uh, basically that it does not carry higher resolution audio through as well as yeah. some of the other cabling. Well, this is a long, long, long time ago. I did this a very long time ago. I bet. So what I did, I said, okay, how about I show you what I've discovered, what I use, which is very unusual. And we'll do the same thing, same volume level, same music, and see what you think of what I do. Versus what they do. Versus the fiber optic, versus the conventional microphone cable hookup like all the concert companies use. Okay. So I got out what I used and reconnected everything with what I used. Put the music back on and everybody went, all right, that kicks ass. And these are your large speakers you were talking about? No, actually, it was, it was some more conventional speakers, but the ones that I had built with JBL speakers in them. It was stage monitors, like the, the, like the entertainers here on stage. Okay. I don't understand how some of these, these ones that you've built, that you've shown me, how you come up with that. It's... Building. Yeah. <laughs> it's awkward. Building... To put that, like, it's like the people who build the car. How do they come up with the shape and the idea of it? I mm -hmm. understand aerodynamics, but, you know, the original Ford basically was a block, you know? So. Try the original Harley-Davidson motor that was on the original uh, Harley-Davidson. Yeah, <laughs> it's not funny. You see how the intake valve works mm -hmm. with no mechanism to work it? It's uh, dangerous. Yeah, it was Try that. like sitting on a bomb. Yeah. yeah. It's basically, so... You've made, as a sound, uh, an engineer, a, a propagator of music, you've gone from building hardware to promoting music to helping engineer other people's sound to now you're just basically a hobbyist for 
for sound in general, not just music. Because we've talked, uh, you have this idea of, you know, checking the wavelengths and want to just see, and it's not necessarily music. You could record the you know, tongue-in-cheek movements and you'd be happy with it. So, well, I'm, just the idea of having something that reproduces um, whatever, like on a sound stage, especially when you're trying to communicate a um, heart and soul of music, like um, God loving Sammy Davis Jr., my very first gig I ever did, the man was the soul of music. When you when he he got across to people, I mean the tears came. Mm -hmm. You know. The goosebumps came. He put chills into people. I've heard some of his music. I never was really a fan. Yeah. Um, oh, if, if, if you hear it done right, I mean, he, he just absolutely chilled people. And when he when he, um, Brown. when he was on stage with the right kind of, that, that's what I was after. See, and uh, as as fate would have it, that, well, that uh, happened to me on my very first gig I ever did. And, and uh, Sammy and, and I uh, connected, and he connected with his audience, and he told me so. And that was through your speakers? Through my speakers, yeah. the ones I designed myself. That's one hell of a feeling. Oh, there ain't nothing like it, and that's what I'm all about. And I've done that for zillions of other entertainers since. So getting that feeling across to an audience and seeing that you're making it. An experience, yeah. An experience. You had, we met originally, you had brought me the uh, the PV uh, control board. Yeah. And so for those who don't know, some of these things can be like our roadcaster mixer is this big. Yeah. Yours is about 30 of those. Yeah. It is which is huge, a, yeah. which is actually a small considering compared, the, yeah, but compared to professional mixers, it's just a middle of the road thing. It's a nightclub mixer. It's no big deal. See, but what PV put into that mixer was the kind of a thing that could actually get this feeling out that I'm talking about, and it worked. It worked for a whole lot of people. What was it that you did with that PV? Mixer, you would change the caps, right? Yeah. What, what were the caps that you changed? I used a, a tantalum. Oh, yeah, that's right, the tantalum cap. Capacitors. I learned about those from an old friend uh, that uh, I used to know here in, in Sacramento. Some a technician, uh, electronics designer. Another guy had brought up replacing uh, caps with tantalum for a set of microphone bays. Um and he had called and asked if we did that. And I'm like, I don't even know where to get tantalum caps. Yeah. Probably Moser or Texas Instruments, yeah. one of the suppliers. Yeah. But, you know, it's something we do. We do that logic board work. And boy, it's, I'm seeing more and more that a lot of people won't touch older electronics for some reason. Like, I, I enjoy the, the trial. Yeah. Like I, I tear that shit apart. I'll, 15 hours into it, somebody will get a bill for three. I just like handling some of the shit. But boy... Yours was an interesting one because PV had a five pin switch with a built-in fuse that kept blowing the fuse of the system and needed to have an exact replica made. And it was just a bunch of back and forth with suppliers getting, it was hilarious, yeah. but boy, it 
probably sounds amazing now, huh? Well, you, you, that's that's what I always do. Uh, that's how I uh, I found the tantalums, um, even different makes manufacturers of tantalums. Um, you got to find the right manufacturer of a tantalum. They're not all not all sounding good. Not bad. You know, I, I get uh, a lot of times it could be um, well, tantalums for circuit boards, and then they're the other caps I use for what I call harmonic filters. Uh, I may get a dozen different manufacturers and I'll audition all of them. And uh, when I uh, find the one that makes my mouth fall open, that's the one that goes into my system. See, the way you talk about it too is you have such a passion for the sound. Yeah. That, that's well, it's a sound system. Where, where did you get that though? What were you doing when you were 20? What, what were your, what was your job or your role? You've, have you always had a passion for sound or did a speaker fall out of the sky and smack you in the head? I'll tell you what happened. I'll tell you what happened. My, my uh, parents, if you want to know what, what the day, I mean, <laughs> long before I ever built anything, uh, my parents used to play uh, 45 RPM records and an old plastic record player. And the 45 RPM records... Uh, they would play the current, you know, you know, back when they used to say the hits just keep on coming mm -hmm. and they were uh, rock and roll. They were country Western music and uh, they had a, a feeling to them that people, that's the reason they bought records. They had a great feeling and uh, there were uh, stars back in those days that recorded for that feeling. And that's the only reason people bought uh, records was for that feel. Like Hank Williams had a famous quote whenever young people would ask him, you know, how do I succeed in, in uh, the music business? And Hank Williams said uh, uh, one of his famous, most famous quotes was, uh, Mr. Can You Make Folks Cry When You Play Insane? It's the feeling. See, yeah. that's what Hank Williams said. And that's what it was all about way back in the day. You know, when, you know, if you ask me when I started, okay. Now, time went on and my parents bought uh, what it, people used to have way back when, the big old concert uh, stereo. You know, one big cabinet that had everything in it. And I started installing speakers in people's cars way back when. And I did a whole bunch of them. I did so many of them. I used to buy speakers by the case great big cardboard boxes full of car speakers. And I used to put them in and because uh, I liked it. And I did some pretty weird stuff back then. And one of the people uh, that I used to buy those car speakers from said, did you ever, uh, this is a dealer. He said, did you ever get in any good speakers? And what, I said, what do you mean good speaker? All I'd ever done was car speakers. Mm -hmm. and, uh, he, and I said, what do you mean good speakers? And I said, what's the difference? He's, yeah, what's the difference? He, and he said, here, let me show you something. And he, he gave me a couple of JBL tweeters. Oh, here it starts. Yeah, and uh, exactly, here it mm -hmm. starts. And these were called the ring radiators, an 075 model ring radiator. And he let me take them home. He gave me a couple of uh, crossover, what they call crossover networks back then. And I put one on each side. And I hooked them up with the crossover network that he gave me. 
And uh, so, oh, look at that price. What are they at? Five hundred twenty-six ninety-nine for some factory <laughs> rebuild. These look like the ends of cars, like some. Yeah, yeah. Boy, have they ever gone up? Jesus, mine were forty dollars back in the, back in the sixties. Anyway, Jesus. um, I hooked These them up. Tweeters, yeah, tweeters, so ring radiators, and um, they, you see that price? Why? Why would it be so high now? It says factory rebuilt. So you're telling me that somebody could have dipped this in gold 30 years ago and it would still be worth less than it is now. That's crazy. Yeah. Why? Because this is the original. This is the one that gave you that old feeling. Put the goosebumps on you. I wonder how many people still have the Paragon in their house. I don't know. Maybe. Anyway, I put them on the old console stereo. Set one on top of each side. Hooked them up turned on the old console stereo and I was absolutely amazed. I mean, they just electrified me. And I thought right away, what the, what must the whole JBL system sound like? Because I'd never heard of JBL before these tweeters. Yeah. This was way back in the early 60s. I can't believe how the tweeters you get now versus that look, mm -hmm. those look like exhausts of newer cars. From like the 80s. Yeah. <laughs> like tweeters nowadays are like this tiny little ball. Oh man, I wonder what that sounds like. The problem is playing it through something like your headphones or even your AirPods, there's no, it doesn't pass that passion, that sound, oh, no. unless you hear it yourself. And nobody understands that. Even kids nowadays don't understand that. I get questioned for what's the best headphones to buy? What's the best Bluetooth? I want the best sound. You can't really ask that because they're all the same. They are all on the same wavelength of high cost, promised high rewards, low quality, because it's cheap and easy. Now, if somebody built their own headset, if you could minimize your Paragon speakers, your JBLs from back in the 60s, or manufacture your own and put you know some decent headphones on, the nearest I've found is a company called Sennheiser. And you've heard of them. Yeah, so they make some of the best headphones because most of them are handmade, you know, built quality versus quantity. When you say quality, quantity, it's like you're shooting a shotgun at the target. Mm -hmm. yeah, when you say JBL, you're a SEAL team precision marksman. Mm -hmm. the you, old, put, yeah. you know my favorite expression? You're putting the daylight where dead center used to be. <laughs> yeah, That's JBL, the original. Yeah. Daylight where dead center used to be. I wonder if somebody... Forget about quality and all this other... Daylight where dead center used to be. That's JBL. How come these things sell for so much? That's because they hit dead center way back a long time ago. This price now of the originals proves it. Oh, yeah. But see... Did they fall off because they were like, well, we should make more money and we've already hit the top? Is that what it is? They already made something so great they couldn't make it better? It's because of our ever-loving high-tech mainstream thinking that is so far off. They're banging away with a shotgun and they're not hitting anything. Since 70 years of excellence, James B. Lansing. There's James B. Lansing. He had it right in the first place.
Yeah. James Bull. Let's see. It's foundation dedication in the 1920s. Mm-hmm. Well, they've been around that long. 100 years, 30s. Let me tell you what happened. Oh, wow. The Shearer Horn. Yeah. 40s. First called Lansing Sound Incorporated. Dates from 1 October 46. Principal of this company was James B. Lansing, Chauncey Snow, and Chester L. Noble. Why does Noble sound familiar? Los Angeles. Yeah. And then first commercially 375. There it is. Yeah, the first commercially available the one that, diaphragm drivers. In that put the goosebumps on you right there. See, that's the one they replaced. That's got the Alnico magnet. You can see the, the rectangulars in there, the Alnico in, in interior magnet. Mm -hmm. Then they put the, the mud magnet on the outside with the same face plug. You see those tapered slots? That's yeah. the face plug. Western that guy right there will make you cry. Yeah, that's the one. magnet and a four-inch voice coil. Yeah, yeah. This is the 075 UHF high-frequency ring radiator driver, Yeah, also known as JBL bullets because it's their distinctive shape. Yeah, yeah, those two were great. The only problem was it had a 21-ohm peak at 7,000 hertz, which you could take out or you wait for the uh, diamond surround 2441 diaphragm, which... Eliminated that 21-ohm peak at 7,000 hertz. 1960s, Harman Professional acquires JBL. So they Harman Kardon bought JBL yeah. in the 60s. Yeah. Sydney Harman, or Sydney Harman acquires JBL from William Thomas. Company embarks on a period of accelerated international growth through the Harman. So where did William Thomas buy it from? Did he buy it from JBL? I don't know. Enters the studio in the 70s, industry first, new location. Yeah. See, those monitors rank the U.S. recordings industry surveyed, ranks first in the U.S. recording industry survey conducted in the Billboard 4311. Yeah. Jesus, those are huge, too. No, they're not that big, no. Uh, the 80s, new technology, Academy of Motion Pictures, first timeline portable system. It says titanium. Diamond, yeah. Di yeah, diamond titanium diaphragms. They had the diamonds around. And here is your cabinet speakers. Mm-hmm. 1465 Academy of Motion Picture Arts Sciences selects JBL components for the new system is the Samuel Goldwyn Theater. Yeah, this is where they started losing it right here. Right here? Yeah, they started losing it. Yeah, 1990s, uh, neodymium magnets, uh, differential drive. Total engineering, you know what? Yeah. Oh, yeah. See, this is what I'm familiar with right here. Is I remember seeing these in rap videos and music Forget videos. It. Forget it. You know, I liked the look of some of these thin drivers that would be wall mounted. No. no. When I was, yeah, the control contractor series. But here's no the good. Ones no that good. I saw. No good. So this is what I saw where it bent no. down over the no. audience. And it, it didn't give me that like no. sound that no. you were talking about. No, no, no. But they don't mention the Paragon at all here. No, the Paragon was a home entertainment. It was developed to perfect stereophonic imaging back in the 50s. But that's, that should be on their history here. Yeah, it should be. You go back to the 50s. See, this, is, this was made to comply with the current fad of the subwoofer idea. And it was absolutely gone completely off the beaten path of what JBL was famous for. So all we got is a boombox 
and forget music. Yeah. See, and this was a sad, sad, sad this thing. This is how they are now, which really are annoying to work on. The dual diaphragm, dual voice coil compression driver. It's basically just a bunch of magnets put together that'll vibrate. Yeah, this is this is nothing. Yeah, it's 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 all computer made. You know, music has has gone completely. Here's the key milestones. Um, Lansing leaves Altec and founds a new company. Uh, James B. Lansing, incorporated in 1946, develops the D130 speaker. Uh, 49. Oh, James B. Lansing died in 49. That's where William Thomas becomes company president and then sells it to Harmon. Yeah. So that's really, that's a crazy story. You know, in agreements. But right now it's completely, they've gone to technology and uh, got about music, got about all the great stuff that made him famous. Yeah. And uh, it's sad. To them, I bet it's it's exactly what they want. this, I like the look of their their new branding. Like their their products look good. Their design is on point. It's the quality of the sound because even LG, in my opinion, and some of their speakers in Korea beat JBL. And I'm not a studio head. I'm not a sound connoisseur. Mm-hmm. And it's very sad. But it's very very sad. You know, it's like I got to show the the audience this Paragon speaker. Anyway, when I got those two tweeters. Well, this one's only $775. Oh, this is the handmade two-way tiny one. <laughs> yeah, so $37,000, everyone. Holy shit. That's crazy. That was the only speaker I ever bought. I built all the rest of them. Yeah. I, I, oh, I can't imagine what, what goes into building a speaker, like your average speaker. What, how do you build a speaker? What's an average speaker? Just a, a single 15-inch sub subwoofer. What, what goes into making one of those? I wouldn't build a subwoofer if you paid me a million dollars. I wouldn't build a subwoofer because a subwoofer is not a music speaker. I build music systems. How is a subwoofer? I'm, I'm of, you got to enlighten me here. I thought a subwoofer is a music speaker. Oh, it's about as far from music as you can get. So enlighten me. Tell me, tell me what's a music speaker. A music speaker makes music. Get up a spectrum animal. Analyze your pattern of your favorite music. Okay, put mm-hmm. it on a screen. And then put your subwoofer on a, on a split screen with the subwoofer beside it. And you'll see the subwoofer doesn't go anywhere near the music. See, because uh, some of the subs that you'd buy for a car, so to speak, yeah, make it a lot louder and give it a lot more bass. I understand that. Well, it's not really bass. What it is, is a generated sound effect. That has nothing to do with bass. See, bass is a, is a component of music. But subwoofers don't do it's just music. The, the legs from a Paragon are five hundred dollars. It's crazy, crazy to me. And I can tell you how to take an original Paragon mm-hmm. and improve it one hundred percent, and stay with music. It's and I won't do anything that you would think I would do. Everything I would do would make it better, yeah. which I did to my original Paragon, which when I sold it, I had my whole house full of people bidding on it. Because once they heard it, I mean, the bidding went through the roof. So 
So how does this? How is this a custom speaker? That's an Altec Lansing high frequency horn, and a uh, looks like a folded horn, custom design for the bass. But the trouble is, they don't go for music structure. See, that's just a big middle, big middle of music, right where music has most energy between the fourth and fifth octave. There's nothing there. Altec, see the Altec? Yeah. High frequency. That's for the Altec high frequency horn. That's crazy, the horn that's on the top here. Altec, yeah. So that's what this is, is an Altec horn. Yeah. And you have two. They're not bad. They sound pretty good. $1,000 good, though. That's a home-built project. See, now these, I would, I've seen these. Oh, yeah, they used to be all over the place. It's... The, the whole orange and, and white, and they did the blue. Yeah. Now, tell me. Studio monitor. So this is a studio monitor. Yeah. Right? So if, if I wanted to make a recording studio and, and listen to these studio monitors, I've seen people put these with computers and mix music, et cetera. Uh -huh. So to me, what are these doing? These tweeters and stereos? Well, these were once very, very popular studio monitors. But they're a compromise. You see that little mid mid range? This one right here? Yeah. Well, if we look at the spectrum analyzer that I keep bringing up, mm -hmm. the uh, middle range between the fourth and fifth octave is where the most energy is in music. Guess what? It's not in the bass. Okay. So why we why do we put the smallest speaker in the system right where the most energy in music is? Because it provides the most? A little speaker can't put out the most energy in the system, can it? No. Well, that's where the most energy needs to be put out. So when they designed this, what do you think they, why did they make it like this? Because everybody was doing it. That's how the common thinking, the mainstream thinking, the almighty mainstream thinking says the middle is smaller. Every manufacturer out there makes the middle smaller, except, except when you get into professional, back in the day, the real good stuff, back when JBL was JBL, <laughs> you know, as I lower my voice, um, that's when they had uh, one they used to call the 4560. You can look that up too, with a mid-range horn. That's what we were just looking in the... In the history on JBL. Yeah, look at the 4560 and the, and the high-efficiency horn driver in the mid-range, which popped out that beautiful, the great feel of the mid-range, which matched the, the live sound stage, which required a bass speaker under it and a mid-range above it. There it is. You see? That, that is your real mid-range. Oh, but it's a 15-inch speaker. How can that be a mid-range? That can be a mid-range because that's what it takes to make real live mid-range. See, you look at the spectrum analysis. It says base bin. Speaker. Yeah, base bin. Oh, that's speaker plans. These are the plans for that speaker. Yeah, the plans. Yeah, right. Um, base bin was a common misconception because that was not a bass speaker, and it's sure as hell not a bin. See, the common 
uh, vernacular. Well, this one even has the, uh, so this is what I was looking for. Some of these will have the original yeah. plans. So single driver horn, front loading horns, and then it has the graph here for your frequency. Yeah. It says frequency curve of the 4560 taken with one E145 loudspeaker. Wrong. Installed. The 145 was a bass speaker put into a mid-bass horn. So it, it that does... was common back in the day. So it, it has two of these graphs here, one on the top left and one on the bottom right. Yeah. And it does two tests on us. Excuse the Sacramento's best uh, firefighters passing by. Yeah. Um, so they did two tests. One is taken with one 2205 loudspeaker installed. Then they did another test with one 145 loudspeaker installed. The 2205 looks to be more of a wavelength. The other one looks to be more like a bullhorn. Yeah, these are wrong, both of them. The correct speaker was a 2220 or an E130, the high-efficiency horn drivers. Neither one of these speakers are correct for that enclosure. They were commonly used to try to get bass out of a speaker whose frequency response was 200 cycles up. 200 cycles is not bass. It's mid-bass. See, now this was commonly done because all the bands thought, oh, this is my bass box. This is my bass bin. Mm. See, this is something used to describe something used by the ignorant. Yeah. Speakers put into their bass bin by the ignorant who didn't know what they had, didn't know how to properly use it, didn't know what to properly put into that. So what's the point of having a horn on some of the newer speakers I see that sell for thousands of dollars? I never see a horn. You never see a horn? Yeah, not like these. Not like these because they never knew how to use them. The people that put up this on this, what is this, podcast, they didn't know what they were doing. Well, so this is eBay. These people are selling these. eBay, yeah. yeah. See, they so, don't know what they're doing with this. They're, tr they're trying to sell it. But the reason I went to eBay is because Google or... Uh, some of the Wikipedias will show you what they had at the time. Yeah, but they, I saw a million of them. Yeah, so I'd like to see what they look like now and what people are selling them for because they want to sell you on it so they'll give you the most information. And I find that eBay, they'll if, actually write the right information. If you want to make this really do live sound, they really are great. You put it, you see, that's a wrong speaker. You put an E130 in, which is way more efficient than that is, and you get that beautiful mid-bass which matches your live mid-bass spectrum analysis of what you get when you hook up flat mics, test mics to a live band. Oh. To a live band. Hello. <laughs> An actual live sound stage. Exactly. Well, so, it ain't this. This is wrong. So on stuff like All that. All this is wrong. Is it just insulation they put into those when people are, or is it just a hollow box? Well, you just opened a can of worms there because <laughs> I've done a hell of a lot of research and development mm -hmm. on that. Okay, now, the way they came from the factory, it is a hollow box, okay? And it never was reinforced properly because it vibrates in the back, okay? But if you want to do it right, you put the high-efficiency horn driver uh, 2220 or E130 
uh, speaker, which is way more efficient than that particular speaker, about 6 yeah. dB more efficient. And if you look at the spectrum analysis, it goes like this. Uh, jumps about 9 dB between the fourth and fifth octave. I wish we had a spectrum analyzer hooked up. I'd show it to you. Well, you were talking about buying one. Yeah, I'm, I'm going to buy one. Now, the uh, in order to get that, see that, that front-loading horn is 14 inches deep, gives you 6 dB right where you need it, 200 hertz and up. And then you put, use a filter to take it off right, right above the uh, 500 hertz and just take it off 12 dB, no more. And... Uh, Proactive, 12 yeah. filter. And then you get that beautiful, bam, right where it needs it, right where live music has it. Yeah. Right there. Right where everybody goes, it feels good, man. Because it feels like dance, standing yeah. in front of a live sound stage. Okay, right there. And then below that, you have another bass system, the correct bass system that sounds like live music, not a subwoofer. A live woofer. See, somebody who doesn't know, like myself, I assume you got your speaker, your tweeter, your subwoofer. Oh, that's it. Now, because I can, I can put you something together that you will like so much better. I bet. I see. This is the reason I don't listen to music because it doesn't. Music in general, right now, if it's not loud, it doesn't make you want to sing or tap to it. Doesn't it just my systems make people get up and dance? See, that's that's from talking they always to you, have. the impression I get. But it's one of those things where nowadays you go to the store that has the fries used to have this giant sound system room set up. Every uh, box you could think of that they sold was in there and they would let you test it, close the doors, and it would vibrate the world. And so in there there was a couple of like Harman Kardon eggs. Uh, or Samsung eggs. They made speakers that were like a giant football. It was a cool looking futuristic speaker and it would rattle the whole place. But boy, were they expensive Excuse and me. fragile. And I was like, man, it's spending $300, $400 on a speaker that's going to float on a shelf and then rattle the wall, but it doesn't make you want to kick up and, you know, sing along. I don't know. It's, I, when I was a kid, my grandfather had towering, towering studio. Um, it wasn't even a speaker. It was a damn, a box basically, but it wasn't, it didn't vibrate. Only music came out. So I didn't, I know it didn't have any bass. Let me tell you a story about what used to happen in my, when I used to have my sound room that I built myself. Mm -hmm. The back when I was married, yeah. <laughs> I used to get neighbors complaining. You'd imagine, right? Yeah. You know There's why they would complain? Too loud? No, they complained every time I turned the music off. They'd come over and say, turn the music back on. Free music. I bet they enjoyed it. They enjoyed it. They brought over all the recordings to have me play. I couldn't. You're basically saying you were a, uh, a radio station for your neighbors. When I took my speakers over to San Francisco to the International Professional Sound Equipment Show, uh -huh. total strangers brought me recordings to play. And after I played them, they left them. They said, I don't want to ever hear them on anything else. They left me all the recordings. It reminds me, I got to give you a reel to reel that we have. I need to see if you uh, know anything about it. Somebody had dropped one off and yeah. didn't want us to work on it. And I love reel to reels. They were supposed to, they were supposed to, bring in something 
they just they basically abandoned a reel to reel. We've never worked on it, so we didn't. Well, I love hard. it. Yeah, a guy brought a a, a reel to reel recording of, of John Wayne um, giving a speech about America mm-hmm. out to Cal Expo to one of the Fourth of July shows oh, I did. God, I could imagine that. And I want to tell you, it took your breath away coming out of my my speakers. See, that that's man, the stuff I grew up on was uh, Andy Griffith, the Duke. Yeah. Oh. Uh, Elvis. That was oh, my, my grandfather. I told you the story. He was a country music player. He played with Johnny Cash, Willie mm-hmm. Nelson, Merle Haggard. Yeah. I, I don't remember that. Yeah, Williams Jr. Um, but, and so when I was a kid, I didn't know who Johnny Cash was. Yeah. I met him. I didn't know him. So I got a picture of me sitting on his lap. And my oh, my God. You didn't know who he was? Didn't know who he was. He oh. was the black-haired fella. Yeah. Black hair. And uh, my grandfather, <laughs> after... That's crazy. Yeah, after Johnny Cash passed, he went three months after. And boy, was he distraught. Because when they were younger, <laughs> there were some times. You know, the, sto- the stories of... You know, he didn't carry around a suitcase, but there was a medical bag that had some pills. <laughs> Nobody touched the bag. The bag came with Johnny and uh, his addiction to peanut butter when he got sober. And, uh, you know, he had a, I think the, some company had made him two peanut butter cans that said Johnny Cash's Reserve. And so one of them my parents have now and one June Carter Cash has. And so my family tried to sell in the hard times 2008 post mortgage. They tried to sell their Johnny Cash uh, heirloom, basically. Oh my god! And the June Carter Cash Foundation reached out and said, "No, you can't sell that. We'd love to have it in the museum." Oh yeah. There's my parents is apparently better quality in the picturing, uh, but it was made by like Jiffy Puff or whoever makes peanut butter. They made it specifically for Johnny, and it's crazy to think you know you got Folsom Prison, you got things like that, but you don't really realize that. Oh yeah, so this is the area he was around a lot back in the '60s and '70s. Mm-hmm. And sure as shit, my my grandfather wasn't the best singer. But he knew all the right people. Uh-huh. So he helped make deals and connections, buy, sell, trade. You know, you needed a guitar. You needed some type of equipment to your house. You needed a brand new Cadillac. He was the the wheeler and dealer. Yes. And sure, <laughs> sure as shit, you hear his songs and you're like, why did you ever record? You know, it's not, it, you got some, some lyrics, sure. It's like him and his wife bickering, arguing, you know, 101 ways to be different from your spouse, but make it work. And they were married somewhere 50, almost 50 years. Um, but boy, the people he knew astounds me compared to where they are now. Like you got Willie Nelson as such a prominent name in country music. The idea of him knowing him, like crazy. Like that's just small world. But yeah, it's it's one of those things my mother brags about constantly. She knows every that's how we know Skip. That's how the, the family is involved in Skip's music and all that stuff. But mm-hmm. small world for it all. But man, so nowadays you're just retired. You just the love of the music. What are you doing? I still experiment with uh, with building speakers. I build uh, cars. I've always built cars. And uh, How is it now that everything's going electric? <laughs> I still come up with ways to... Uh, find uh, how to recover mm-hmm. uh, performance out of uh, cars. 
Have you, uh, did you ever hear the guy who, uh, who built a car off of water that it could run on water? I used to know a guy that used to do that. There was, there was a big conspiracy theory. So Stanley Meyer. So there was a mysterious death of him. He built a water powered car. And so mysterious death of Stanley Meyer and his water powered car. Uh, he lived in Oklahoma, or what was it? No, he lived in Ohio, Franklin County. Uh, greeting setting American province is dear to crime writers. 1998, four men having lunch at a restaurant. Waiter serves one of them cranberry juice. Perhaps we will never get sure. He basically puts his hands around his neck, loses his breath, and says that somebody's killed me. He says, they poisoned me. And because uh, he had wa a water-powered race car. And he bragged about it. It was everywhere, in papers, etc. He didn't need gas. I would call horseshit. If we didn't have 40 years later a water-powered car, there's got to be a crazy way that, you know. But no results from the coroner. Toxicology said he was poisoned. Um, but the theories are that, you know, there's a lot of people that say he turned water into fuel and he was killed for it. That is crazy, the idea. Have you ever seen a water-powered car? Never seen a water-powered car. I've seen uh, water injection uh, systems. I knew a guy that used to sell them. Could you imagine driving 400 miles on a cup of water? Yeah. <laughs> That'd be crazy, right? Harmless emissions, uh, voltage intensifier circuit. I don't know how that would work. There's been lots of inventors have invented stuff that's it's been fantastic, and they've been just pushed out of the market, and never, never well, to get anywhere with the Ford stuff. is the the grandfather of killing ideas. You know, they've they've threatened or sued so many people because of likeness, or they worked there at one time. The idea was owned by somebody else. Yeah, and. Uh, you know, it's funny, my grandfather also had a hand into the, what was it, the automatic overdrive for race cars back in early 50s, late 60s, late 50s, and that was sold to Ford. And yeah. one, one of their people, he sold it for a million bucks. You know what that patent nowadays would be? Yeah. Near hundreds of millions of dollars. And uh, my grandmother, till her day she died, was like, he never should have sold. He never should have sold which is hilarious, but basically the, I guess this says BMW presented the hydrogen version of its seven series, petrol and liquid hydrogen. It tells us what water will no doubt play a role in the future of the car, confirming in a certain sense, the idea of Stanley Meyer. Huh. Never you ever heard, heard of a uh, Smokey eunuch? No. Oh, get him. <laughs> He's, Fantastic. Chevelle? Yeah. They made a Chevelle. They had a hot vapor motor that solved a smog problem way back before we even knew there was a smog problem. No way, really? So let's go to the yeah. Wikipedia. He smokes, that's funny. Hey, he served in the Air Corps, War Two. Yeah. Deeply involved in the early years in NASCAR, and is probably most associated with the racing genre. 
participated in every avenue of sports driver, designer, held other jobs in the sport, was best known as mechanic, engineer, builder, crew chief. Uh, opinionated character who was about as good as there was ever on engines, according to Marvin Panch, who wrote stock cars. On the 61 Daytona 500, cowboy hat, big cigar, and a corn cob pipe. Hilarious. Career, you said he enveloped developed something. Yeah, the hot vapor engine. Among many many other things, yeah, he built the first NASCAR winning Chevrolet engine for NASCAR, and all those uh, Hudson Hornet. Motors that beat all the oh, big yeah. three automakers. Yeah, I've seen all those damn Hornets and yeah, he built those engines, these Chevys and Chevy trucks. So that's for him, basically. Yeah, the ones that have the thirteen. Yeah, he got thrown out because he kept beating the big three automakers. <laughs> of course. You can see he looks pretty fit there and there, but then here he looks, it's kind of. Drying up, so to speak. Oh, that's hilarious. Smokey's best damn garage in town, Daytona Beach. Yeah. I wonder if that's still open, Smokey unit. Nowadays, small business doesn't stay around. Oh, it burned down? Smokey's oh, unit garage burns down. 2011, it burned down in Florida. Oh, I didn't know that. That's crazy. Well, you know, it's been a pleasure, bud. Yeah, we got to get together a little more and find out a little more of your history. But you know, learning a lot about speaker profession and music in general. Studio monitor. Those studio monitors nowadays just don't compare to what you're telling me oh, in the past. Because no. I, I almost bought some studio monitors for this setup, and uh, it would have been a huge waste of money. I would assume. It's not. Yeah. But uh, you've you've been through quite a bit. You know, you've, you've seen quite a few performers and, and done a lot with sound. Yeah. Yeah. When I got those two tweeters, the first thing I did was when I got a second job just so I could more. buy the Paragon. Because <laughs> I found out about the Paragon through that same dealer that let me use the tweeters. And when I saw the picture of the Paragon in the JBL catalog, I said, mm -hmm. that's it. Did you have to wait a period of time or? No, I got the, I got the job and, uh, uh, my ex-wife uh, was working for a big department store back then, and she found out about a dealer who could get me the Paragon at a good price, yeah. and um, only $5,800 back in the 60s. That's like 60000 now. Yeah. yeah. And um, so... Uh, the U.S. dollar today is now less valuable than the euro. Did yeah. you see that? No. The first time in a long time? Yeah. And it is... Our currency is falling. That's a whole other topic I got to get into on another time. But all right, everybody, thanks for coming today. We'll see you next time.